Uh, good morning once again. Uh, would you now turn your attention uh, to today's teaching text, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 9, all the way, verses 9 to 15. This is the word of the Lord. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word. Would you join me in prayer at this time? O oh Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our dull minds and our hardened hearts? Will you speak to an obstinate people and people whose necks are hardened? Would you speak? Speak words of life. Speak words of truth. Speak words of comfort. Speak words of rebuke. Would you speak to each and every one of us this morning? Remind us through your word how you are a living God and your words sustain us. Speak to us, your church, at this time we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, being that today is the first Sunday of 2021, I want to start the new year with teachings on prayer. Now, I think for most Christians, uh, prayer is something that's deeply paradoxical, meaning we know prayer to be one thing, but our experience of it is something entirely different. Uh, for instance, we know that prayer is powerful, but when we do it, we feel so unproductive. Or, uh, we know that through prayer, we experience intimacy with God. But whenever we engage in prayer, sometimes it feels like we're talking to ourselves and we're more distant from others and from God. Uh, we know prayer is something that's easily accessible, right? Where anyone can pray anywhere, anytime. Prayer is so easily accessible, yet to get to the act of praying feels like an obstacle. And prayer is deeply paradoxical. You know, they say praying is like breathing, but often we find ourselves content, suffocating ourselves. So, uh, in the hopes of bridging this gap, I want to spend the next few weeks dwelling on the topic of prayer. About a month ago, while praying for our church in the new year, you know, I started to ask God, God, please teach us how to pray. God, I, I, we want to be a praying church. Teach me how to pray. Teach our church how to pray. Teach us how we can take what we know about prayer and make it a lived experience. Teach us to pray. Well, it just so happens that Jesus' disciples, many, many years ago, uh, asked the same question. 
They went up to Jesus one day and they asked him, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And do you know what Jesus' response was? It was this, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, sure, I'll teach you how to pray. When you pray, pray in this way. And he taught them what we know to be today uh, as the Lord's Prayer. Yes, when the disciples asked, teach us to pray, it was this prayer that Jesus taught. This prayer that we memorize and mindlessly recite from time to time. Yes, it was this prayer that often today just gets squeezed into worship services. Yes, this prayer that's often viewed as lacking authenticity and spontaneity. Yeah, Jesus taught this dry, mundane, simple prayer. When his disciples asked, can you teach us how to pray? So, uh, to learn how to pray in hopes that our church would grow in prayer, um, we won't be doing anything spectacular or creative or new. We'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked, teach us to pray, this is what Jesus gave to them and to us. Today, we'll be looking at the first line, our Father in heaven. And we'll be focusing on just three words. The three words being our, Father, and heaven. So first, our. Uh, There's a well-known church historian uh, by the name of Justo Gonzalez. And in his most recent book, he actually shares this story about how one day he was all alone in this really, really large chapel. And he was alone praying. And in his prayers, he started to pray the Lord's Prayer. He says the first two words, Our Father. And then he stops all of a sudden. He opens his eyes and he looks around and he says, Our? Here he was all alone in this large room and he's praying, Our Father. At first he thought, oh my, this is absurd. If I'm by myself, shouldn't I be praying, My Father? And he started thinking, well, you know what? I think the Lord's Prayer is just so mechanical. I'm just repeating whatever it says. And he started to think, shouldn't I change the words to make it more personal, more applicable to me? And that's when Justo Gonzalez realized something about prayer. That first, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he's actually teaching us to pray collectively. In other words, Jesus is teaching us to pray with others and for others, right? So even if Jesus is saying, even if you're praying by yourself, you are praying with the assumption that other Christian brothers and sisters are praying with you. And that collectively, God is listening to all of our prayers, I know often when we go in prayer, we we think that it's just between me and God. But you see, Jesus is teaching us to pray, Our Father. With the assumption that when we're praying, we're praying alongside all the other Christian brothers and sisters. And by using the first person plural, Jesus is teaching us that whenever we pray for something for ourselves... Right? We shouldn't just seek it for ourselves, but 
we should equally desire it for all of God's family and pray collectively, our Father. There isn't a single first-person pronoun in this prayer. It's all our, we, us. You know, I think there are a lot of misunderstandings about Christian prayer today. And some of these uh, misunderstandings are uh, prayer is therapeutic. Okay? Some people think prayer is therapeutic. No, prayer is not therapeutic. Okay? God is the healer, not the act of praying. Okay? Or another misunderstanding is uh, prayer is meditation. Uh, friends, Christian prayer is not meditation. Prayer is not contemplation or reflection. Prayer is speaking. While there is room for meditation and reflection in the Christian life, praying isn't contemplation. But I think the biggest misunderstanding around prayer today is this. That prayer is personal. Prayer is individualistic. Friends, praying is not something you do solely by yourself and solely for yourself. We only need to just look at the early church, whether it's the church in the book of Acts or the church in the epistles. When we read the church in the New Testament, we find that corporate prayer, praying together, is actually the main form of prayer. And individual prayer, praying by yourself, that is reserved for when the church can't gather to pray. When there are restrictions or when they're apart, when there are limitations, that's when they pray individually. But even so, as they are separated, they're praying, interceding for one another. You know, the, 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 church, um, the church in the New Testament and, following, um, and the centuries following, they've actually had prayer services three times a day. Three times a day, the church would gather together to pray. And not once did the congregants, as they were walking to church to pray, thinking, oh my goodness, this is the third time in the same day. What are we doing? Why are we wasting our time with all of this travel? They didn't think such thoughts. Because they understood that corporate prayer was the, primary, is, was the first way to pray. And only when there were limitations, there were restrictions, maybe they, were, they had work, that's when they prayed alone. But even when they were praying alone, they prayed for one another. See, I think the church in America has grossly misunderstood this. We, we, we have this backwards. We think prayer is primarily an individual spiritual discipline. And corporate prayer praying together and intercessory prayer, praying for others, that's a luxury. Only when you have free time or when you like the people in the prayer meeting, that's when you go to corporate prayer. And once you, you know, you're, you're done praying for yourself, that's when you can intercede for other people. Friends, no. Corporate, collective, intercessory prayer is what the New Testament teaches us to be the primary form of prayer. You know, it's a lot like eating. Right? Eating is something that we do with other people, with family, with friends, with co-workers. 
meals are meant to be enjoyed and shared with other people. Now, of course, there are certain circumstances when you have to eat alone. Maybe the family is away, or maybe you're traveling, or maybe you just crunch for time, and you have to eat alone. But eating alone shouldn't be the default. It's only when you have to. Now, likewise is the case with the prayer. And, and I know the pandemic has made this more difficult. But you can still pick up the phone and pray with other people. You can have Zoom prayer meetings. Or you can pray with your parents whom you live with, or your spouse whom you're with, or your children whom you're with. You can pray with your roommate. You know, a few years back, um, I asked uh, one married couple, do you pray together? And the individual said, oh, no, I would never. I can't even imagine praying with my wife. It just, ah, I just can't do it. You know, I don't want to call out individuals here, but one, you can pray with Mina. We're called to pray corporately together with other people. See, praying only by yourself doesn't mean that you're more holy or more spiritual, that you're more mature than other people. But if you only pray by yourself and for yourself, it means that you've taken something that was meant for corporate edification and you made it about yourself. You've taken a family meal and you've made it an individual meal. And just one more thing on this. Um, you know, the New Testament teaches us um, this, this idea, this concept, the priesthood of all believers. And if you've been a part of the church for a while, you, you know what this means. The priesthood of all believers means that, that we no longer need a priest because Jesus is our high priest. And as a result, we are all priests in a way where we have equal and full access to God through Jesus. Right? So the priesthood of all believers means that it doesn't matter how long you were a Christian or what your title in church is or how much you do for the kingdom. Each and every Christian has equal and full access to God because we are priests. But the priesthood of all believers also means that we are called to the ministry of intercession for one another. So like priests... We can bring the burdens, the sins, the requests of others before God. And He will listen. God doesn't say, well, that doesn't concern you. Pray about yourself. Stop praying about other people. No, we can exercise, use the ministry of intercession by praying for others. That's also what the priesthood of all believers means. So, when you pray, Jesus teaches us, pray, our Father. The second word is Father. Now, in the original language, uh, Father is actually the first word that's used in the prayer. So, the prayer that Jesus teaches actually begins with the word Father. Now, I, you know, Jesus knows what he is doing here. I'm confident of that. Jesus, right, he's teaching us how to pray. And by setting the first word in the prayer as Father, 
what Jesus is doing is he's setting the tone for the rest of the prayer. Father. I mean, it sets expectations, does it not? If you begin a prayer with Father, does it not control how and what you're going to say? I mean, imagine if the first word in the prayer was, Sir. What would that do? Well, that would cause us to be careful, subservient, timid, cautious. Or what if the first word was judge? That would mean that the prayers that follow would have to be concise, succinct, clear, logical, apologetic. What if it was Abby, as in dear Abby? That would mean that we can be honest, but we would need to remain anonymous and use pseudonyms. But the prayer that Jesus teaches us begins with Father. I mean, what does that do for you when the very first words you utter in prayer is Father? Well, for me, it means that I don't have to pretend to be someone that I'm not, that I can take off the the clergy robe and go to God as a child. Father means that No matter how holy and powerful he is, I can go before him confidently. Father means no matter how much I've strayed, how far I've strayed from him, I can approach him knowing that his love for me has not changed. Father means I can be vulnerable without fear of judgment. In May of 2018, uh, the famed evangelist, Billy Graham, uh, he passed away, and at his funeral, his daughter Ruth uh, shared this story about her father. It was a story of what Ruth experienced with her own father and how it was a reflection of how God was her father in that moment. I think I shared this uh, years ago, but... Um, I want to share this uh, once again as as I find that it's relevant. This is Ruth Graham speaking at her father's funeral. She writes this, or she says this. Uh, After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I was floundered. My husband had betrayed me at the deepest levels. I understood that I had biblical grounds for divorce, but I did not want to be divorced. I didn't want to hurt or displease God in any way. Now, my family thought it would be a good idea for me to move and get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. Well, the pastor of the church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, well, they're almost grown. They can't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What do they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, 
I knew I made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. And what was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and my father. On my way home, I felt wrecked. I was coming home with my life in pieces. Shame weighed me down. I dreaded having to meet my parents' gaze. I didn't think I could handle what their eyes might communicate. I wanted to run and hide, but I could not. I had nowhere else to go. I couldn't undo my mistake. I knew I had to face it. And I felt unworthy to go home, but I needed my parents. It was a two-day drive and questions whirled in my mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to Mother? What was I going to say to my own children? I've been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? Were they going to say, we're tired of fooling around with you? We told you not to do it. You embarrassed us enough. Well, many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend. And in my father's driveway was my father standing there, waiting for me. My father, who had every reason to rebuke me, wrapped his strong arms around me and he pulled me into a warm embrace and he greeted me with these simple words, Welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. My father's embrace at that moment was one of the most profound gestures of acceptance I have ever experienced. To be utterly broken and still accepted. To feel ugly and yet be loved. To feel like an outcast and still be welcomed. I marveled at the contrast between my heart, full of shame and regret, and my father's heart, so full of love. She ends by saying this, My father was not like God. My father was not God. But he showed me what God is like that day. His one act of grace changed my life and informed who I am. I am so grateful that God accepts me as I am, hurting, wounded, broken. I'm glad he chooses me to be a part of his family, regardless of my past, mistakes, and sins. He wants me. He cares about me. His arms are open to me all the time. And even when I am in the ruins, God stands watching the road, eager for me to come to Him. God doesn't stop at the ruins, it's where He begins. And brokenness is a qualification for service to Him. God doesn't hold in His hand a list of my failures. He's not waiting to judge me, but He's waiting to be with me. He's waiting to embrace me and welcome me home. And that invitation is open for you as well. Friends, I think one of the reasons why prayer feels so much like a burden, it feels like a task, is because we fail to view God as Father. 
For us, God is either a genie on a good day or a critical judge on a bad day. Right? Either God is like Oprah on Christmas or like Ellen to her co-workers. Either good or bad. So, whenever we're good, we go before God entitled, expecting that God would do something. But whenever we're bad, we just think, forget it. I'm not even going to try. See, but friends, church, we have to understand that the prayer, that the power and the effectiveness of prayer never resides in our own ability and our own morality. But prayer is powerfully effective. Prayer is possible only because God is your Father. You know, if you are someone who's struggling to pray, uh, here's a real practical tip. Just go to God in prayer and just keep calling out to Him as Father. Just repeat, Father, Father, Father. You know, I do this when uh, I'm lost for words or I'm just too exhausted to even express myself. Now, I actually don't say father because father is a, is a foreign word to me. So I grew up, um, I never called my, my father father. It was, uh, even at times when I spoke to him in English, um, I called him uh, appa or abaji, which is, you know, father in Korean. Appa or aboji. And so, you know, a practical tip is use whatever that you're most familiar with. If, if you're uh, familiar with dad, daddy, father, or pops, uh, just call out to God um, with whatever you're most comfortable with. In fact, in the early church, you know, even though the majority of Christians, they were Greek, they were Greek-speaking Christians, they actually used the Aramaic word for father, which is Abba. And they used Abba because it was so familiar to them. There was so much emotion and context behind this word. Now, for me, that word is Aboji. And so, you know, in prayer, when I'm just too exhausted, I don't have the words, I don't know where I'm going, and I feel distracted and anxious, I would just repeat that over and over again. I would say, Father, Father, Father. I would pray, Aboji. Aboji, Aboji. You know, after saying that for a while, you know, tears would just roll down. Aboji, Aboji. Because whenever I say that, whenever I address God as Father, there's this feeling that comes over me that God knows what I am feeling. He knows what I'm struggling with. He knows what I'm afraid of. And even though I don't have the words to say it, He knows. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father, our Father. The third and final word uh, in this first clause is heaven. While addressing God as Father is amazing, it doesn't quite land the plane. See, God as Father means that, yes, He is loving, accepting, caring, and forgiving. But it doesn't mean that He is fully capable 
of doing what you ask. You see, there's a difference between being willing and being able. Father means he is willing, but it doesn't necessarily mean he is able. I think all the fathers here would agree with me when I say that as a father, there's nothing more painful, nothing more devastating uh, to be willing but not able to help your child. You're willing to do it, but you're not able to. Um, I just heard from uh, friends, um, from my friends in New York a few days ago that uh, someone who was a, a member of our community, someone who was a, a core member, a critical member of our community, uh, passed away a few days ago. She was someone in her mid-twenties. Uh, she was a nurse, a vibrant young adult. And we spent so many years laboring together for the Lord. And I've had the great privilege of walking alongside her and discipling her in her formative years. Well, a few uh, on the 23rd, she comes home from work and she goes to bed. And in her sleep, her heart failed. The next morning, her parents, seeing that she hasn't woken up, they go into a room to wake her up, and they found her dead in her own bed. Now, I've called up friends, family, community members, and everyone is just at a loss for words. We don't really know what to say to her parents, whom we know quite well. I mean, what can you possibly say to a father who is willing to give up everything to bring his daughter back but is not able? I mean, what can you possibly say to a father who is willing to give up his own life in exchange for his own daughters but he's not able? I mean, what can you say to a father who is willing but isn't able? That is why, or this is why, Jesus teaches us when we pray to God as Father, pray to Him, address Him as not just Father, but Father in Heaven. Meaning, this Father is not a Father who dwells on earth. He is not a Father who is mortal with limitations. He is not a father who dwells here on earth, but he is a father in heaven. God is our father who is both willing and able. The one who flung the stars into place, the one who orchestrated the universe, the one who spoke life into being, the one who is the great I am, the self-sufficient, all-powerful Creator God. He is our Father. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. Our Father who is both willing and and hey.
you know, to conclude on today's message, um, you know, to pray in this manner, to pray our Father in heaven, while it may sound inspiring and easy, yeah, it actually isn't. If we truly want to pray in this way, if we want to pray our Father in heaven, we have to first be grounded in the gospel. We have to first know and understand and believe firmly in the work of Jesus for us to be able to pray our Father in heaven. You know, it's actually a very difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to constantly pray with others. Why? Because it's exhausting. It's a difficult thing to always constantly pray for others. It's really hard to pray for others as much as you pray for yourself. Right? Some of the things that you deeply desire, to be able to equally desire that for other people, is actually a difficult thing. To intercede on behalf of others, to be desperate before God for others as much as yourself, is almost an impossible task. Unless you truly believe that the work of Jesus on the cross and His resurrection has united us not just to God, but it has also united us to one another. You see, unless the gospel informs us of this reality that we are not just like family, that the church isn't just akin to family, but it's actually family, that fellow brothers and sisters, we are an actual family, we are an eternal family, unless the work of Jesus informs that and shapes us to think and believe that, Intercessory prayer, praying our Father, is a difficult thing. You know, I know prayer is often viewed as a personal thing, right? Something private, where we don't want to share and open up. But if the gospel informs us that we're family, if the work of Christ molds us and shapes us into believing that we are actually family. We can pray our Father. Or, I know that some individuals have difficulty addressing God as Father. Some individuals have expressed to me, you know, because maybe I never grew up with a father, or maybe my earthly father was abusive, or because my earthly father was just imperfect. I just have a difficult time praying to God as Father. If you think of Father as someone who is critical, judgmental, always putting you down, addressing God as Father can be a painful experience unless the work of Christ has healed your heart 
has redeemed and picked up the broken pieces. Your shattered expectations and understanding of Father, unless the work of Christ has recovered that, redeemed that, renewed that. Yes, addressing God as Father is a difficult, difficult thing. Going before Him as someone who would love you unconditionally and embrace you without judgment is a difficult thing. Unless we are firmly grounded in the work of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, as we strive to be a praying church, as we strive to grow closer and closer in intimacy with God through prayer, would you once again have your hearts and your minds and your identity be formed by the work of Christ? Can you believe once again that the work of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, we have a blood that speaks a better word than family ties, family blood, than any works that you can do. That the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than all of these things. And we can go before Him confidently in prayer. Would you join me at this time in prayer? As we have just uh, heard, um, just what this first clause in the Lord's Prayer means, can I just ask our congregation for the next few minutes to just go before God, being informed by the work of the cross. Go to God and address Him as Father. Call out to Him as Dad, Daddy, Father. Papa, Abaji, whatever you're most familiar with, would you just go to him in prayer? And would you go to him as our Father, our Father in heaven? Just spend the next few minutes communicating, communing, fellowshipping with your God through Christ. Let's pray.